Good morning, everybody. And I have Ian on one side of me and Kosin on the other side of me. As So you'll hear their voices, too. They're, Greg said we're, that they're our guardian deities here <laughs> today at Zen Center. I wanted to first um, thank everybody for coming today, uh, for taking a moment to gather back together today as a sangha. And I wanted to explain, just to say, if it isn't obvious already, that um, Kosin and I are in Brooklyn today. I didn't really realize how much I needed to be here uh, until Kosin suggested it. Um, with um, Greg recovered and the Sangha stabilized, um, it was clear in his body and then became clear in my body um, that I, we needed to be here. We needed to be in the city. Uh, we needed to be closer to the Sangha, even if we are not seeing you, uh, except for through Zoom. I didn't realize how much uh, it would mean to me to be in this space. For me, it feels like I didn't know I needed to come home. And like many people today, and this week, and the past few weeks, and the past few months, there's been a lot of stirring up. And um, this week and last week, I, I have um, been um, working with my own stirring up. And what I was doing, where I wasn't sitting so much, I was um, going to, to the outdoors. So um, we were gardening, um, Kiku, Julia, and I, and we were moving dirt. And then I just started raking things and pulling things out and planting things. And um, I see how much I was um, trying to find some ground uh, with the land. And uh, even though I was doing all that, I couldn't quite settle. And then um, when I was here, and a f waiting a few minutes before I started this talk, I went to lay down in the zendo, and I looked up at the rafters. And I realized um, this teaching from my uh, IFOT training, which reminded me that land is everywhere. And something about these rafters felt like the earth supporting me in a way that all that raking and gardening <laughs> didn't feel. Um, so I um, want to uh, welcome you during this talk to find your piece of land, to find your um, sense of connection to something deep and old and living. And um, maybe it's a rock. <laughs> Maybe it's a tree outside the window. Uh, maybe it's the uh, wood of your chair. Uh, maybe it's a plant. 
you know, I was looking around for a plan to help also support this space today, and <laughs> and all I could find was this sweet little being that's holding on for dear life because nobody's around <laughs> except for Ian to take care of it. So I watered it and put it next to Kuan Yin. Um, so I want to let you know that if you you know, you don't have to stare at this screen or stare at me. Um, you can lay down or do what you need to do. So um, this, is a, this is a talk about a search for ground and, and what's um, a ground that's actually supportive. So this moment, I don't need to speak to introduce this to you, we are all in the middle of it. It's this moment of reckoning, of mourning, of energetic uprising in response to this white supremacy, anti-blackness, histories of violence, to the illness in our bodies and in the earth. And um, it's a moment of courage, especially the courage of all of those who are taking to the streets. And in this moment, it feels like we all have something that is being asked of us. Ian talked about this, uh, I think, hospitality of receiving, or we talk about it as a call and response. So we're hearing this call for, for Kuan Yin, it's called the cries of the world. It's a plea, a demand, a request for us to respond. And so many are standing up and trying to respond in some sincere way. So um, my way has been to get quiet, uh, to listen, I think it's just the way I'm built. I think given who I am, it's probably the most appropriate thing to do. And I've been really thinking and feel, really not thinking, I haven't been thinking at all. I've been feeling, what is this suffering? What is this request asking of me in this moment? And what am I doing that has been and continues to perpetuate this system of harm? And what does leadership look like at this moment? So um, I have been really um, reluctant to speak. I really did not want to give this talk even more than usual. <laughs> I just wanted to be silent. And I think there's a certain kind of silence that is harmful and a certain kind of silence that's important, a silence that deeply listens and responds. So uh, we've been talking about groundlessness. This is a, a big teaching right now. And it's really um, hard to be with all of this pain. Pain that's getting evoked and re-invoked. Um, and Because my 
training is both as a trauma therapist as well as a, a Zen teacher, I really think about it in terms of no, nervous systems and bodies. So there's a, a ancestral pain, a trauma that lives in all of us. And this, um, what Mother Jones wrote an article in Zen sent it to me about this, um, this uh, crisis of fatigue. So our nervous systems are getting stimulated and activated and the, and the uh, energy of it all is, is, um, can really surge a lot of chemicals through our body. And then when there's one crisis after another, we, uh, our bodies sometimes maybe feel like they can't sustain this experience in a way that keeps us um, settled. So I, am a, I don't feel settled. I feel settled now because I'm here. Um, and I, all week long, I, I was unsettled. And, um, and so I feel like I need to start always with honesty about how challenging it is for me as well as for everybody else. And for certain people in particular, this is an incredibly um, traumatizing time. So in this talk and preparing for the talk, I kept trying to grab for ground and I couldn't find ground. <laughs> So as usual, the talk kind of points me in the direction of where I am stuck and what I need to remind myself of. So um, I just wanted to recognize and allow for the full range of experience um, for, and the diversity of experience that people are having, um, particularly those who are whose histories are being whose whose histories are being um, spoken out. People are having courage to speak up and speak about this. And for me, I um, realized in order for me to be skillful or helpful, I, I actually what came up for me um, is I need to. This is the words that came up. I need to lay down and I need to stand up. I need to let go of the false ground um, that I have been grasping onto at the expense of others. The strategies, privileges, and postures, and behaviors. And so for me, uh, one of the reasons I don't want to speak is because I am, um, I am reckoning with that. So Greg talked about this caterpillar turning into a butterfly um, and the mush. So all week long I, I, I was in um, looking for ground and there was one teaching that um, provided ground for me that immediately uh, reoriented me back to my vows and my practice and to the Dharma. So what I'd like to do, um, because it was so helpful for me, um, is to, um, to offer this teaching. And what I'd like to do is think of it as a kind of a guided meditation for all of us right now. So what I'd like you to do is, if you would, um, if you want to mute your screen, you can. If you just want to close your eyes, if you want to look for a piece of land, um, a piece of the earth, water, sky, 
and um, please allow yourself to uh, lay down. So this um, came up in Lion's Roar this week. I saw this teaching from Zenju, which is called Darkness is Asking to be Loved. Thank you, Zenju. Here's her words. By now, we have lost the tiny sense of peace we have created for ourselves. Our composure is an idea long gone, reflected in the grinding of our teeth and locked jaws. If you're still holding up trying to meditate, I invite you to fall down. Fall down on the earth. Come down here and smell the sweat of terror on your skin, overpowering the scent of argowood. Come down on all fours and greet the darkness that reeks of death, reaches out its desperate hand and asks to be loved as much as we love the light it gives. Come down here on this earth and breathe, breathe for those gasping for air. Hear each scream as a bell that never stops ringing. Bury your face in the mud of this intimate place, in this shared disease and tragedy. If you have nothing to say, now is the time for the deeper silence honed that does not apologize or seek something kind to say. And yet the deeper silence is not quiet. It whispers in the dark and wakes you up from the nightmare. Come down here and be still on the earth. Let loose shame, rage, guilt, grief, pain, and make a river of it. Come down here. Catch the love poems hidden in the shouting. Watch the unfolding of the seasons from the ground. Look up at the sky. And when it hurts from being down here so long, roll over and see what you couldn't see on the other side. Breathe out loud. No particular posture needed. Fall down onto the earth. Fall off your soft cushions. Come down here. Come down here, where the only lullaby tonight will be the sound of your heart drumming songs you were born with. Part of what I feel has put us in this situation in a very particular way is um, how we respond to pain.
pain. And Zenju is pointing to something that, um, a ground that can hold that pain, that grief, that anger, that confusion of our racialized karma, and offer us something to um, make new ground out of. So all of our teachings are about dukkha, about suffering, how to be with suffering, to just remind us it is here, it is our path, it is the way, what we're supposed to do. And um, to me, this is a, a recommitment that working with dukkha is a way of life. And I feel particularly responsible for the suffering for which I am complicit. So it's my responsibility to find a way to um, create clean pain as opposed to dirty pain. So this is a, this is a um, teaching from um, Resma Men Menicum, from my grandmother's hands, and I wanted to read you a little bit about that. He talks about the difference of clean pain versus dirty pain. A pain that, um, a clean pain is one we take responsibility for. A dirty pain is when we refuse to take responsibility for our karma and then reenact it in a way in which it caused further harm. So he says, healing trauma involves recognizing, accepting, and moving through pain, clean pain. It often means facing what you don't want to face what you have been reflexively avoiding or feeling or fleeing. By walking into that pain, experiencing it fully and moving through it, you metabolize it and put an end to it. In the process, you also grow, grow more room in your nervous system for flow and co coherence and build your capacity for further growth. Clean pain is about choosing integrity over fear. with no guarantee of safety or praise. And this healing does not happen in your head, it happens in your body. And it is more likely to happen in a body that can stay settled in the midst of conflict and uncertainty. So, There's many things to be said about this, and um, I was um, just want to mention a few that I am orienting to as I attempt to um, meet this moment in a way that I have vowed. So, um, for me in particular, I feel like uh, this crisis, this stress. Uh, also, uh, there is something um, 
powerfully healing that's here that people are engaging in, which is a collective mourning. So for me, uh, grief has to be a way of life. There has to be an orientation toward life. And uh, when I allow myself to feel and to grieve, to kind of lay down in that with it, with a stability, I think it's an important step on the way to justice. So we can uh, acknowledge this pain that our heart knows is collective. And, um, but it's not enough to just say we need to grieve. I think um, for me, I have to keep um, courage as a way of life, as a moral responsibility. And people have been asking about this idea of anger. Uh, Lion's Roar has a wonderful um, set of articles by beautiful teachers about this. Um, But I wanted to uh, speak to that because I do believe that there is an energy that's needed. So this is the stand-up part. So it has to be a way of life. It doesn't matter how we feel or how inept or how inadequate we feel. It does not matter. We take that in and we, we use it. Larry Yang, I was reading uh, his book recently, and he said, many times I found myself frustrated by not having the inner skills and the tools to be the person that I wished to be while doing the work I felt was so important in the world. We can't wait till we cultivate courage. We have to act and go into the pain with courage. There is a, uh, Tanisara has a great image of uh, the role of anger as a way of stimulating a certain kind of energy that's a courageous energy. She, said, she talks about this uh, female image of Vajra Yogini. She's known as the essence of all Buddhas and is depicted in a dancing posture similar to Shiva. She is adorned with a necklace of skulls and carries a blood-filled skull and sharp knife, symbolic of her ability to cut through ignorance and illusions with great precision. She is wild. Her hair is untamed and her face radiates a numerous wrathful expression. Her radiant red body is ablaze with the heat of yogic fire and is surrounded by the flames of wisdom, which burns through our illusions. The task of this energy is to purify and refine the heart until it radiates with its inborn intelligence that births the mother energy. She will not yield authentic and integrated awakening until the dross of ignorance is burnt through and transmuted to indestructible compassion. If we are to undertake the blessed and grueling journey of the luminous, fierce, yet tender heart needed for our times, then anger is an asset. Clarity has to be a way of life. Bell Hooks talks about that the heart of justice is truth-telling, seeing ourselves and the world the way it is rather than the way we want it to be. 
And as painful and as hard it is to face the reality and the truths that are being uh, spoken up and revealed and held up, I think we also, as she mentions, have a longing to be clear and to be honest. And um, for me, I, I think humility has to be a way of life. Reb has a, a talks about this. If you wholeheartedly attempt to tell the truth without being aware of the limitations of your vision, then your words will be a further enactment of your ignorance. If you are aware of your limited vision, this is a step toward telling the truth. Then you will feel somewhat anxious about whether you are telling the whole truth. And in that moment, you can go one of two ways. You can try to grab a truth, try to grab a ground, or sit in that, not knowing. The trust, he says, is not realized just by me saying what I think is the truth. Truth arises when my truth is offered, but not placed above the truth of others. So um, there is also, we talk a lot about compassion. And this compassion, um, I, again, I read from an interview with Resma, and he talks about self-love and, and, and compassion is active and energized and passionate, and that this means a lot of self-discipline. So it's, this is a kind of way of life that we are being disciplined. We want to be disciplined. We want to discipline this mind, body, and heart in order to be able to keep meeting this moment. And this every day, you know, when, um, when this all, you know, whenever the next movement is, you know, how do we take all of this and find in the details of each moment and each activity the request that's being made of us. So there's much more I want to say, but I, I, I really want to bring this piece right now to me. I feel that um, this um, falling apart, laying down, letting go, being with pain, and then standing up, which is all one process, not one and then the other, is something that has to happen on all levels. And um, for me, my focus in my life, my dedication has been one um, to, to, to bring all of that, to ask myself to bring all that to me and my suffering and the way that I show up in the world that falls short of my ideals. And it has to happen between us and, and it has to happen in our community. So I wanted to say that I think we actually have to fall apart as a community. I feel like um, we do in order to touch a ground of reality and re realize a deeper truth about the way 
racialized harm shows up between us and in this community. So I, I want, and I know you all want, a Sangha that really truly protects instead of harms each other. You know, how can we become a community that fosters awakening to these systems of harms in our own bodies and between us? I, 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 I want to understand how we can go beyond a, a fragile, superficial harmony in our community to a deeper harmony. To not just, to, to be truly anti-racist. And um, to tear apart what we have to tear apart. To um, take responsibility for what we have to take responsibility for, a loving responsibility, a loving accountability that listens and is humble and is disciplined and apologizes and tries again even though we don't know what we're doing because we don't know what we're doing and we have to listen. And we have to metabolize our feelings so we don't harm. And if we really believe in community wisdom, we have to be flexible and step back and bring other voices forward. And um, there are things I, uh, I will say for myself, and excuse me, I just want to say as a, I want to speak as a, a member of this community who is white and understands um, and is attempting to understand what my work is. So I just want to name two or three things that I think, and as we have a predominantly white sangha, what the path is, a little bit of the practices that have been told to us and expressed to us. You just have to Google what can white people do, and you will, you will hear a plethora of, of requests, suggestions, and we have to place ourselves in a historical context. We need to be able to cultivate a capacity to sit and, and metabolize our pain. We have to resist the urge to try and fix things, control things. We can't create work for those who are living the reality we are waking up to. We cannot burden our black or POC Sangha members with a need to be validated, supported, or comforted. We can't ask them to educate us. In a few minutes, in two hours, we'll have a UWO meeting. and. I don't say any of those things because I don't do them or have, I'm above it. I just, I'm just listening and hearing the request. 
So the last thing I want to say I was listening to um, Mako at Austin Zen Center, and she had a beautiful quote from Suzuki Roshi, and I wanted to read it to you. And it really responds to this idea about the two truths, about the absolute and the relative, and this idea of oneness. He says, to treat that, to realize that things are one is a very sympathetic understanding but how to treat things one by one, each in a different way with full care, that I think is your practice. So even though you understand that things are one, you know that this is a very, you know, kindergarten understanding. And that then you move from that understanding, you start how to treat things one by one, each different with full care, This is your practice. Unless you can get through the idea of emptiness, you are not a Buddhist. But if you stick to emptiness, you know, if you cannot realize things happen in your emptiness, you're not a Buddhist yet. Katagiri Roshi Tia told us, said, in the absolute, we are completely forgiven and in the relative, we are completely responsible. Can we... Can we let what needs to fall apart fall apart? so that a more resilient community can emerge. We can do this if we remember that we are, we are empty of something to protect, that things are always falling apart. We're just not getting in the way of it. I am just surrounding myself with teachers today, so I will end with this teaching from the book, The First Free Women, female teacher, Utama. She says, for years I couldn't sleep. Most nights I'd throw off the covers and take long runs through the dark. Nothing helped. My sisters, when sleepless nights come to tear you into little pieces. Rise to meet the day as a tree rises to meet the ax, as a scalp bows to meet the blade, as sparks from a dying fire reach out to meet the darkness, as all of our bones someday fall softly down to meet earth. When you stand, send your roots down between the stones. When you walk, walk like a skeleton walking to its grave. When you lie down, lie down like a blown-out candle being put back in a drawer. When you sit, sit very, very still. My sisters, sit like you are dead already. How could this world possibly give you what you're looking for when it's so busy falling apart? 
just like you. Look closely. Don't move until you see it. You know, Suzuki Roshi talked about this one, this moment. In every moment, there's the whole history. All the, everything is in there. So one of the moments in our sangha that has actually been tough and painful is this moment right now, this moment of space, taking space, listening, expressing, receiving. Bye, everybody. May our intention equally penetrate to everyone. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.